for all that I've seen and all that has progressed and is growing in intensity, we live in the age of hate. We live in the age of rebellion. We live in the age of bitterness. We live in a world and in a country and in a state and in a city where it is the natural fare of the life of most human beings who are walking through this world filled with every kind. Now, I want to, I want to clarify that I am now going to funnel down from all that God would tell us is the fruit of righteousness. I want to funnel down. You know, we could talk about adultery. We could talk about selfishness. We could, we could talk about uh, stealing. We could talk about backbiting. Uh, we could go on and on and on. Greed covetousness, idolatry. I want to funnel it all down to what characterizes the relationships and the communications between the brethren. I will tell you that whether no one else was moved by the study that we just finished in the letter of 1 John, I want to tell you that if no one else took it to heart, I did. And I took the opportunity to dwell on it, to meditate on it, you know, the word meditate means to chew the cud like a cow. You know, to, to work that around. How is this true? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? And if the acid test for the relationship that I have with every person in the earth and then narrowing that down to what kind of, what is my relationship in regard to my mindset? Where is my mind in regard to relationships? And I'll start kind of from the, the bottom, you know, in my family. And then in the broader family. And then in the church of Jesus Christ, and then to the world. How 
could I be characterized by God having the Holy Ghost to be a living example of the truth of one of the shortest scriptures which says God is love. Where do I fit? How do I measure up? And I realize, you know, John said, if your heart condemns you, you better know that God is greater than your heart. And so we may have, we may have a clear conscience before God is the way I look at that scripture. And yet, you better know that if God probes around in our life, he's going to bring something to light whereby we are going to add to having a clear conscience. And this is healthy. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, before we take communion, that we should first be examining ourselves. This is where Paul says, this is why many of you, because you don't examine yourselves, this is why many of you are sick. And then he goes on and says, this is why many of you sleep. In other words, have died. Strong words. You think God's changed since 1 Corinthians? Don't think so. And so, every one of us, every one of us earthen vessels who carry with us until that day of the adoption of the body, talked about in Romans 8, every one of us is subject to sin in the flesh, even in the exercise of, of a daily walk whereby we aspire to depend upon the Holy Ghost, we are yet tempted and possibly deceived and come to make friends with that which God hates in our own person and we have come to the place where we are blind and cannot see much of the light that God is shining in our path. Now I want to tell you that over the last couple months, Alice and I ordered two books. These books are written by Chuck Missler's wife. And I think Chuck had some input, particularly in the bigger one. The thick one is fairly heavy. It's called The Way 
of agape, the way of love. Now I'll tell you, this is a pretty wordy book. It's written by Nancy Mitzler. Why do I bring this forward? I bring this forward because in another book that she wrote, which is this one, which is has the title, Why Should I Be the First to Change? And the book is about the first 20 years of her and Chuck Missler's marriage, which was very unhappy because Nancy, as all wives should and do, have expectations that their husbands will love them more than they do their profession, will love them more than uh, moving their own careers forward, will love them even more than they love their own bodies. That is an expectation for wives in every marriage. I'm not going to get into what the expectations of husbands are. Another sermon. But I want to read to you, and say, oh my, he's going to read to us, get ready to turn to my mind and on neutral. I'm not going to read very much. Just listen to a few words. And by the way, you probably already guessed that Nancy Mitzler, after 20 years, when the only answer seemed to be divorce, Nancy Missler got before God and dealt with the problem, not in regard to what was wrong with Chuck, but she dealt with the problem Asking the question, what is wrong with me? And it took her 20 years of suffering and being neglected and being uh, not valued by her husband before she finally woke up and took God for what he says in his word, that there is nothing too hard for him. But she said if God showed her that it was going to happen, it would happen in her first. All right. In the book, The Way to Agape, which is basically the summarization of many seminars that she did, and God knows how many men and women she helped over a period of 20 years again. She says this. Again, we are not responsible 
for the original self-centered corrupt or bad thoughts when it first comes in. It's what we choose to do with that thought that produces the sin. Now, the only thing Nancy's saying here is, it is not a sin to be tempted. But what you do next is going to tell the story. And so she said, if we choose to follow that which that, pardon me, if we choose to follow what that thought is prompting us to do over what God has told us to do, then we sin and end up separated from God with that layer of grease covering our hearts and preventing God's life from coming forth. Now, when she's talking about grease, she's referring to an Old Testament scripture. Uh, that talks about our hearts being covered with a barrier of grease whereby God cannot touch us. And then she says this, and this I put a circle around. Even if we do nothing with that bad thought, it will eventually be buried in those hidden chambers and end up quenching God's spirit. And that too will be sin if, however, we recognize that bad thought and give it over to God. We have not sinned and we are not separated from him. God declares that it is imperative. That means it's absolutely necessary. For us not even to entertain bad thoughts about others, let alone speak them. Listen to Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, which just happens to be where we are in, the, in our study. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. My friends, there is not one of us who on many occasions have not become angry, disappointed, having all of our hopes let down, our expectations left unmet because 
our relationship with another, whether it be husband and wife, whether it be children, parents, whether it be brethren in the body of Christ, whether it be an enemy, there is not one of us who have not experienced instead of immediately taking our hurt to God, asking God first to deal with us and then believing and asking that God will forgive us for the evil thoughts of our hearts towards another person. I would say that in regard to Christian experience, for those of us who are in the body of Christ, who carry around sin in the flesh, that we are continually tested and tempted to refuse to let an offense pass and to then take it to God and deal with it properly. And rather than continually trying to justify why we are offended, and excuse how we feel because it is only right that because this other that I trusted so in such a great an act of, of disloyalty has hurt me so badly that it is therefore we excuse the darkness that has entered our hearts over that because we didn't take it to God and deal with it immediately. This is exactly what Hebrews 10 talks about. When it, when what occurs in such a circumstance, that bitterness that drives its roots down into the deepest part of our soul to where we not only know it's there, but we justify the fact that it is there. And then it leads us to thoughts of reprisal. And it brings us to the place where we want vengeance and we greedily go day by day hoping and waiting for God to punish that person who has hurt us so badly. And that is what Paul called a root of bitterness. And then he said this, by it many will be defiled. Not just you, not just me. I know about this. But others will be defiled too. Often we will carry 
our story of woe and how unfair things were, we carry that to someone else so they too can latch on to that bitterness. And I tell you, an old preacher said something a long time ago I never forgot. He said, God will give you grace for that which you go through, but you carry a tale to another and they may not be given the grace to deal with it. That's why others are defiled. My friends, I discussed this with Alice today. I told her, I believe that this very thing that I am discussing right now is the last stronghold of the enemy in our lives. We may have overcome adultery. We may have overcome pornography. I'm talking mainly to men, I guess. We may overcome selfishness. We may overcome uh, jealousy. The last enemy, I think, is that we must recognize and believe God that we can overcome hate. And don't you tell me that you have bitterness in your heart towards another. Do not tell me that you don't hate them. because that's what it is. This, for most of us, will probably be Satan's last stronghold and the flesh's last stronghold on us. I'm 75 years old and I, I discern that this is true. And it is not needful. Because Jesus said, I will fill my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I tell you that when these events occur in our life, that is the gate of hell that you're up against. It is not what's going on in the world. It is not that uh, the world's falling apart and waxing worse and worse and that Christ will soon come, but isn't everything terrible? The greatest thing to overcome is that working of the enemy and that working of the flesh that will allow us to excuse a lack in absolute terms, the demonstration of the love of God in our lives. It's easy to love people who don't hurt you. It is easy to love people who do not disappoint your expectations. But the last stronghold that in the worst case, we can even love an enemy.
For Christ said, or Paul said about Christ, that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Do not believe that it is impossible for you to love and me to love according to that power and according to the perfection of that quality. God bless you all. Let us pray together. Father, I should have preached this message 30 years ago, but I don't think I knew enough to say it. But I'm saying it today, Lord, and I've dealt with the question in my own heart. May none of us think that we are somehow unique in this. But let us know that this is a temptation that is common to all believers. And that the enemy will do more destruction through trapping us, our, ourselves allowing ourselves to be deceived and trapped in such a circle of evil. Work in our hearts for good, Lord, that you might be glorified. And make us to be lovers of all men, and especially those that believe. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.